Hello and welcome to a short story scene. I am your host, the storyteller, and here we have a tale called Dracula by Brown Stoker. Chapter 1, Jonathan Harker's Journal, kept in shorthand. Three May Bristes left Munich at 8.35 p.m. and 1st May, arriving at Vienna early next morning, should have arrived at 6.46, but train was an hour late. Budapest seems a wonderful place from the glimpse which I got of it from the train and the little I could walk through the streets. I feared to go very far from the station as we had arrived late that would start as near the correct time as possible. The impression I had was that we were leaving the west and entering the east, the most western of the splendid bridges over Dambu which is here of noble width and depth, took us among the traditions of Turkish rule. We left the pretty good, in pretty good time and came after nightfall to Klausberg. Here I stopped for the night at the Hotel Royal. I had for dinner, or rather supper, a chicken done up with whey with red pepper, which was very good but thirsty. Memo. Get recipe for Minna. I asked the waiter and he said it was called paprika handle and that as it was a national dish I should be able to get it anywhere along the Carpathians. I found my smattering of German very useful here. Indeed I did not know how I should be able to get on without it. Having had some time at my disposal when in London, I had visited the British Museum and made search among the books and maps in the library regarding Transylvania. It had stuck me, it struck me that for some foreknowledge of the country had fairly failed to have more importance in dealing with the noble of that nobleman of that country, and I find that the di district he named is in the extreme east of the country. Just on the borders of three states, Transylvania, Moldavia, and Bukovian, in the midst of the Carpathian Mountains, one of the wildest and least known portions of Europe, I was not able to light on any map or work giving the exact lo locality of the Castle Dracula, as there is no maps of this country as of yet to compare with our own ordnance survey maps. But I found that Bitzel's, the post town named by Count Dracula, is a fairly well-known place. I shall enter here for, for here some of the notes, and they may refresh my memory when I talk over my travels in Minna, with Minna. In the population of Transylvania, there is are four district nationalities: Saxons in the south, and mixed with them the Welsh, are descendants of the Dacians. Magyars in the west and Sicilese in the east and north. I am going among the latter who claim to be descended from Attila the Huns. This may be so for when the Magyars conquered the country in the 11th century they found the Huns settled in. I read that every known superstition in the world is gathered into the horseshoe of the Carpathians as if it were the center of some sort of imaginative whirlpool. If so, my stay may be very interesting. Memo. I must ask the Count all about them. I do not sleep well, though. My bed was comfortable enough, for I had all sorts of queer dreams. There was a dog howling all night under my window, which may have had something to do with it, or it may have been the paprika. 
for I had to drink up all the water in my cafe and was still thirsty. Towards morning, I slept and was wakened by the continuous knocking at my door, so I guess I must have been sleeping soundly then. I had for breakfast some paprika and a sort of porridge of maize flour and which they said was mamalinga and the eggplant stuff with forced me in very excellent dish which they called implementata memo get recipe for this also i had it to hurry breakfast for the train settled a little before eight and rather ought to have done so for after rushing to the station at 7:30, i had to sit in the carriage for more than an hour before we began to move it seems to me that the furthest east you go, the more unpunctual are the trains. What well, ought they to be in China? All day long, we seemed to dawdle through the country, which was full of beauty and of every kind. Sometimes we saw little towns or castles on the top of steep hills, such as we see in old missiles. Sometimes we ran by rivers and streams, which seemed from the wide stony margin on each side of them to be subject to great floods. It takes a lot of water and running strong a sweep the outside edge of the river clear. In every station there were groups of people, sometimes crowds, and in all sorts of attire. Some of them were just like peasants at the home of the, those I saw coming through France and Germany with a short jackets and round hats and homemade trousers but others were very picturesque and the women looked pretty except when you got near them but they were very clumsy about the waist they had all white sleeves and some kind of other and most of them had big belts with lots of stripes and something fluttering from them like the dresses and ballet but of course there was petticoats under them and the strangest figures we saw were the Slovaks, who were more barbarian than the rest they were big cowboy hats great baggy dirty white trousers white linen shirts and enormous heavy leather belts nearly a foot wide all studded over with brass nails they wore high boots and their trousers tucked into them and they had long black hair and heavy black mustaches they were very picturesque but did not look proposing on the stage they were to be set down at once in the old oriental band of brigands they are however i am told very harmless and rather wanting in natural self-assertion it was on the dark side of twilight when we got to Brits's, which is a very interesting old place, being practically on the frontier for the Borgo Pass leads from it to the Bocalvini. It has had a very stormy existence, and it certainly shows marks of it. Fifty years ago, a series of great fires took place, which made terrible ha havoc on five separate occasions at the very beginning of the 17th century it was underwent a siege of three weeks and lost 13,000 people the casualties of war proper being assisted by famine and disease count dracula had to direct me to go to the golden crone hotel which i found to be a great delight to be thoroughly old-fashioned for of course i wanted to see all i could of the ways of the country i was evidently expected 
for when I got near the door, I faced a cheery-looking elderly woman in the usual pleasant peasant dress in a white undergarment with long double apron front and back and colored stuff fitting almost too tight for modesty. When I came close, she bowed and said, the hair English man. Yes, I, I said, Jonathan Harker. She smiled and gave some message to an elderly man in white shirt sleeves who had followed her to the door. He went but immediately returned with the letter. My friend, welcome to the Carpathians. I am anxiously expecting you. Sleep well tonight. At three tomorrow, the diligence will start for Bukovina and place on it to keep for you. At the Borgo Pass, my carriage will await you and will bring you to me. I trust that your journey from London has been a happy one and that you will enjoy your stay in the beautiful land. Your friend, Dracula. For me, I found that my landlord had got a letter from the account directing him to secure the best place on the coach for me, but on making inquiries as the details, he seemed somewhat resident and pretended that he could not understand my German. This could not be true because up to then he had understood it perfectly, at least he, un he answered my questions exactly as if he did. He and his wife and the old lady who had received me looked at each other in a frightened sort of way. He mumbled out that the money had been sent in a letter, and that was all he knew. When I asked him if he knew of Count Dracula, he could tell me anything of the, his castle. Both he and his wife crossed themselves and saying that they knew nothing at all, simply refused to speak further. It was so near the time of starting that... I uh, had no time to ask anyone else, for it was all very mysterious and not by any means comforting. Just before I was leaving, the old lady came up to my room and said a very hysterical way. Must, must you go? Oh, young heir, must you go? She was in such an excited state that she seemed to have lost her grip of what German she knew and mixed it up with some of the other language which I did not understand at all. I was just able to follow her by asking many questions. When I told her that I must go at once and that I was engaged in unimportant business, she asked again, Do you know what day it is? I asked I answered that it was the 4th of May, and she shook her head as she said again, Oh, yes, I know that, I know that, but do you know what day it is? On my saying that, I did not understand, she went on, It is the eve of St. George's Day. Do you not know that today, tonight, when the clock strikes midnight, that all the evil things in the world will have a full sway? Do you know where you are going and what you are go going to? She was in a, such an evident distress that I tried to comfort her, but without effect. Finally, she went down on her knees and implored me not to go, at least to wait a day or two before starting. It was all very ridiculous, but I did not feel comfortable. However, there was business to be done, and I could allow nothing to interfere with it, and therefore tried to raise her up and said and it would, as gravely as I could that I thanked her but my duty was imperative and that I must go. Then she rose and dried her eyes and taking the crucifix from her neck, offered it to me. I did not know what to do for as an English churchman, I had been taught to regard such things as in some measure of idolatrous and yet it seemed 
so ungracious to refuse an old lady meaning so well and in, in such a state of mind she saw i suppose the doubt in my face for she put the rosary around my neck and said for your mother's sake and went out of the room and i was writing up this part of the diary whilst i am waiting for the coach which is of course late and the crucifix is still around my neck whether it's an old lady's fear or the many ghostly traditions in this place or the crucifix itself i do not know but i do but i am not feeling nearly as easy in my mind as usual if this book should ever reach M mina before i do let it bring my goodbye here comes the coach five may the castle the gray of the morning has passed and the sun is high over the distant horizon which seems jagged whether the trees or the hills i know not for it is so far off that the big things and the little are mixed i am not sleepy and as i am not to be called till i awake naturally i write till sleep comes there are many odd things to put down and least who reads them may fancy that i dined too well before i left bits let me down my dinner exactly i dine on what they call robber steak bits of bacon onion and beef seasoned with red pepper and strung on sticks and roasted over a fire in the simple style of the london cat's meat the wine was golden medashes which is which is produced queer string on the tongue which is however not disagreeable i had only a couple glasses of this and nothing else when i got on the coach the driver had not taken his seat and i saw him talking with the landlady they were evidently talking of me for every now and then they looked at me and some of the people were sitting on the bench outside the door which they called my name meaning word bearer came and listened and then looked at me most of them pityingly i could hear a lot of words often repeated queer words for they were many nationalities in the crowd so i quietly got my paul dictionary from my bag and looked them out i must say they were not cheering for me for among them were or dog saint polkal hell strigrigosi which Vorvalok and Vlask, both of which mean the same thing, only being Slovak and the other Serbian for something that is either werewolf or vampire. Memo, I must ask the Count about these superstitions. When we started the crowd round the inn, which had by this time swelled to a considerable size, all made the sign of the cross and pointed two fingers towards me with some dif difficulty i got a fellow passenger to tell me what they meant he would not answer at first but on learning that i was english he explained that it was a charm or guard against the evil eye this was not very pleasant for me just staring for an unknown place to me an unknown man but everyone seemed to, so kind-hearted and so sorrowful that so sympathetic that i could not be touched I should never forget the last glimpse which I had in the inn yard and its crowd picturesque picture, figures all crossing themselves and they stood round the wide archway and its background of rich foliage of oleander, oleander and orange trees and green tubs clustered in the center of the yard 
Then our driver, whose wide line drawers covered the front, whole front of the boxy gotza, they called them, cracked his big whip over his four small horses, which ran abreast, and we set off on our journey. I soon lost sight and recollection of the ghostly fears and the beauty of the scene as we drove along. Although I had I known in the language, or rather languages, which my fellow passengers were speaking, I might not have been able to throw them off so easily. Before us lay a green sloping land full of forests and woods, with here and there steep hills, crowned with clumps of trees or with farmhouses. The blank gable end of the road there was everywhere a bewildering mass of fruit blossoms, apple, plum, pear, cherry, and as we drove by I could see the green grass under the trees sprinkled with fallen petals. In and out amongst these green hills of what they called here the meadowland ran the road losing itself as it swept around the grassy curve or was shut out by strangling ends of pine woods, which here and there ran down the hillside like tongues of flame. The road was rugged, and it was still seemed to f fly over it with a feverish haste. I could not understand then what the haste meant, but the driver was evidently bent on losing no time in reaching Borgo Prond. I was told that this road is in summertime excellent, but that it was not yet been put in order after the winter snow. In this respect, it's different from the general run of the roads in the Carpathians, for it is an old tradition that they are not to be kept in too good order. Of old, the Hathodars, who did not pair them, lest the Turks should think that they were preparing to bring in foreign troops, and so hesitant the war which was always ready at loading point. Beyond the green swelling hills of Meadowland rose mightily slopes of the forest up in the lofty steeps of the Carpathians themselves. Right and left of, the, of us they towered, with the afternoon sun falling full upon them and bringing out all the glorious colors with, of this beautiful range. Deep blue and purple in the shadows of the peaks, green and brown, where grass and rock mingled, and the endless perspective of jagged rock and pointed crags, till these were themselves lost in distance. Where the snowy peaks rose grandly, here and there seemed mightily rifts in the mountains th through which, as the sun began to sink, we saw now that the, again the white gleam of falling water. One of my companions touched my arm as we swept around the base of the hill and opened up lofty, snow-covered peak of mountain which seemed as we wound on our serpentine way to be right before us. Look, it's a Zeke's God's seat, and he crossed himself reverently. As we wound endlessly away, and the sun sank lower and lower behind us, the shadows of the evening began to creep round us. This was emphasized by the fact that the snowy mountaintops still held the sunset and seemed to glow out with a delicate cool pink. Here and there were Preschesk and Slovaks, 
all I in picturesque attire, but I noticed that the gotry was painfully prevalent. By the roadside were many crosses, and as we swept by, many companions all crossed themselves. Here and there was a pleasant man or a woman kneeling before a shrine who did not seem to turn around as we approached, but seemed in self-surrender of the devotion to have neither eyes nor ears for the outer world. There were many things new to me, for instance, hayricks in the trees, they, and here and there very beautiful masses of weeping birch, their white stems shining like silver through the delicate green of the leaves. Now and again we passed a littering wagon, an ordinary peasant's cart, with its long snake-like vertebra calculated to suit the inequalities of the road. On this we were sure to be seated quite as a group of homecoming peasants, the Czechs with their white and the Slovaks with their colored sheepskins and latter carrying lace fashion, their long staves and the axe at the end. As the evening fell, it began to get very cold and the growing twilight seemed to merge into one darkness, mist, mistiness, the gloom of the trees, oak, birch, and pine through in the valleys which they ran deep between the spurs of the hills as we ascended through the pass. The dark firs stood out here and there against the background of the late-lying snow. Sometimes, as the road was cut through the pine woods that seemed in the darkness to be closing down upon us, great masses of grayness which here and there bestrews, strewed the trees, producing a particularly weird and solemn effect which carried on thoughts and grim fantasies engendered early in the evening when the falling sunset threw into a strange relief of ghost-like clouds which among the Carpathians seemed to be wind ceaselessly through the valleys. Sometimes the hills were so steep that the, despite our driver's haste, the horses could only go slowly. I wished to get down and walk up them as we do at home. But the driver would not hear of it. No, no, he said. You must not walk here. The dogs are too fierce. And he then he added with two he evidently meant for grim pleasantry, for he looked around to the catch the approving smile of the rest. And you may have enough of such matters before you go to sleep. The only he only stopped and would make was the moment's pause of the light in his lamps. When it grew too dark, there seemed to be some excitement amongst the passengers. And as they kept speaking to each other, one after the other, the other urging him to further speed, he lashed the horse, horses unmercifully with his long whip and with wild cries of encouragement, urged them to the furthest exertions. Then through the darkness, I could see the sort of patch of gray light ahead, ahead of us as though they were a cleft in the hills. The excitement of the passengers grew greater, and the crazy coach rocked on its greater leather straps and swayed like a boat tossed on a stormy sea. I had to hold on. The road grew more level, and we appeared to be flying along. Then the mountains seemed to come nearer to us on each side and to frown down upon us. We were entering onto Borgo Pass. One by one, several of the passengers offered me gifts, which they pressed upon me with the eagerness, which would take no denial. 
These were certainly of an odd and variety, variety kind, but each of given in a simple good faith, with a kind, kindly word and a blessing, and this strange mixture of fearing movements, which I had seen outside the hotel at Bissell's, in the sign of the cross and the guard against the evil eye. Then we flew along, and the driver leaned forward, and on each side of the, the passengers, craning over the edge of the coach, peering eagerly into the darkness, it was evident that something very exciting was either happening or expected. But though I asked each passenger, no one give me the slightest explanation. The state of excitement kept on for some time, some little time, and as last and saw before us the pass opening out on the eastern side, there were dark rolling clouds overhead and in the air the heavy oppress oppression sense of thunder. I seemed as though the mountain range and separated two atmospheres and that now we got into the thunderous one. I was now myself looking out for the conveyance which was to take me to the count. Each moment I expected to see a glare of a lamp through the darkness, but all was dark. The only light was flickering rays of my own lamps, in which the steam from my own hand-driven horses rose in the white cloud. We could see now the sandy road lying white before us, but there was on it no sign of a vehicle. The passengers drew back with a sigh of gladness which seemed to mock my own disappointment. I was already thinking what I was had best to do when the driver looking at his watch said it, the other something like I could hardly hear. It was spoken so quietly and in a low tone I thought it was. An hour less than the time they turned to me and said in German worse than my own. There is no carriage here. The air is not expected after all. He will not come on a Bokelbein or return tomorrow or the next day, better the next day. Whilst he was speaking, the horses began to neigh and snort and plunge wildly, so that the driver had to hold them. Then, amongst the chorus of screams from the peasants and the universal crossing of themselves, a cliché and four horses drove up behind us, overtook us, and drew up beside the coach. I could see from a flash of the lamps that the rays fell on them that the horses were coal-black and splendid animals. They were driven all by a tall man with a long brown beard and a great black hat, which seemed to hide his face from us. I could only see a gleam, gleam of a pair of very bright eyes, which seemed red in the lamplight. As he turned to us, he said to the driver, You are early tonight, my friend, the man stammered in reply. The English here was in a hurry, to which the stranger replied. That is why I s suppose you wish him to go to Bolkovina. You could not deliver me, my friend. I know too much, and my horses are swift. And as he spoke and smiled, and the lamplight fell on hard-looking mouth with a very red lips and a sharp-looking teeth as white as ivory. One of them companions whispered to another in the line of... Burgers, Lenore, then Dietoditin, Ritten, Schnell, for the dead travel fast. The strange driver evidently heard the words, for he looked up with a gleaming smile. The passenger turned his face away, at the same time putting out of his two fingers and crossing himself. 
Give me the heir's luggage, said the driver, and with an exceedingly altruistity, my bags was handed out and put into the cache, and then I descended from the side of the coach to the cache was close along and the driver helping me with a hand with a caught my arm and gripped to of steel his strength must have been prodigious without a word he shook his reins and the horses turned and we swept into the darkness of the pass as i looked back i saw the steam from the horses of the coach by the light of the lamps and projected against the figures of my late companions crossing themselves then the driver cracked his, cracked his whip and called to his horses, and off they swept on their way to Bolkovin. As they sank into the darkness, I felt a strange chill, and a lonely feeling came over me, but the cloak was thrown over my shoulder and the rug across my knee, and the driver said in excellent German, The night is chill, mon Herr, and my master and the Count bade me to take care of you. There is a flask of Slobotsky, the bone brandy of country, underneath the seat if you should require it. I do not take any, but it was comfort to know it was there all the same. It felt a little strangely and not a little frightened. I think had there been an, any alternative, I should have taken it. Instead of prosecuting that unknown night journey, the carriage went at a hard pace straight along. Then when made a complete turn and went along another straight road, it seemed to me, to me that we were simply going over and over the same ground again. And so I took note that some salient point that and found that this was so. I would have liked to have asked the driver that this all meant and i really feared to do so for i thought that the place that i was any protest would have had no effect in case there was to be been intention to delay by and by however i was curious as to know how many times was passing i struck a match and by its flame looked at my watch and it was within a, a few minutes of midnight this gave me a sort of a shock for I suppose that the general superstition about midnight was increasing by my recent experiences. I waited with a sick feeling of suspense. Then a dog began to howl somewhere in the farmhouse far down the road, along an agonizing wailing, as if it, from fear. The sound of taking up by another dog, and then another and another, till bore on the wind, which now sighed softly through the pass. The howling, the wild howling began, in which seemed to come from all over the country, as far as the imagination could grasp it through the gloom of the night. At the first howl, the horses began to strain and rear, but the driver spoke to them soothingly, and they quieted down, but shivering and sweated as they after running from sudden fright. Then, far off in the distance, from the mounds on each side of us began a louder and sharper howling, that is, of wolves, which affect both the horses and myself in the same way. For I was minded to jump from the calash and uh, run Willis reared again and plunged manly, so that the driver had to use all his great strength to keep them from bolting. In a few minutes, however, my own ears got accustomed to the sound, and the horses so far became quiet that the driver was able to descend and to stand before them. 
He petted and soothed them and whispered something in their ears, as I have heard the horse tamers doing, and with the extraordinary effect for under his caresses, they became quiet and manageable again, though they still trembled. The driver again took his seat and, shaking his reins, start started off at a great pace this time after going the, the far side of the pass he suddenly turned down a narrow road way which was running sharply to the right soon he was hemmed in the trees which in place arched right over the railway till he, we passed as through a tunnel and again gray frown rocks guarded as bully on either side though we were in shelter we could hear the rising wind, for it moaned and whistled through the rocks, and the branches of the trees crashed together as we swept along. It grew colder and colder still, and fine powdery snow began to fall, so that soon we were all around us were covered with a white blanket. The keen wind still carried and howled of the dogs, though they grew fainter, and we went on our way, and bang of the wolves sounded nearer and nearer as though they were closing around us from every side i grew dreadfully afraid and the horses shared my fear the driver however was not in the least disturbed he kept turning his head to the left and right and he could not see anything through the darkness suddenly away on our left i saw a faint flickering blue flame the driver saw and at the same moment he had at once checked the horses and jumped to the ground disappearing into the darkness i did not know what to do the least as the howling of the wolves grew closer but while i wandered the driver suddenly appeared again and without a word took his seat and we resumed our journey i think i must have fallen asleep and kept dreaming of the incident for it seemed to be repeating endlessly, and now looking back, it looked like a sort of awful nightmare. Once the flame appeared so near the road that even in the darkness around us, I could watch the driver's motions. He went went rapidly to where the blue flame crossed. It must have been very faint, for it did not seem to illuminate the place around it at all. And gathering a few stones, formed them into some device. Once they there appearing appeared a strange optical effect. When he stood between me and the flame, he did not obst obstruct it, for I could see its ghostly flicker all the time, all the same. This startled me, but as the effect was only momentarily, momentarily I took it, and it, that my eyes deceived me, straining through the darkness. Then for some time there was no blue flames, and we were sped onwards through the gloom, with the howling of the wolves around us as though they were falling in the moving circle. At least there there came a time when the driver went further afield than he went yet gone, and during his absence the horses began to tremble worse than ever, to snort and scream with fright. I could not see any cause for it, for the howling of the wolves had ceased altogether, and just then the moon, sailing through the black clouds, appeared behind the jagged crest of the leading pine-clad rock and by its light i saw around us a ring of wolves and with a white teeth and lolling red tongues with long sinewy limbs and shaggy hair they were a hundred times more terrible in the grim silence which held them than even when they howled for themselves i felt a sort of perilous of fear it is only when the man feels himself face to face with such horrors that he can understand their true import
All at once the wolves began to howl as though the moonlight had had some particular effect on them. The horses jumped about and reared and looked helplessly around with eyes that ro rolled in in the way of painful to see. But the living ring of terror encompassed them on every side, and they had performed to remain within it. I called to the coachman to come, for it seemed to me that our only chance was to try and break out through the ring and to aid his approach. I shouted and beat the side of the calash, uh, hoping by the noise to scare the wolves from that side, so that giving him the chance of reaching the trap, how he came there, I, I know not. I heard his voice raised in the tone of imperious command, and looking towards the sound, saw him stand in the roadway. He swept his long arms as though brushing aside some impalable obstacle. The wolves fell back back further still just as the heavy cloud passed across the face of the moon so that we were again in darkness when i could see again the driver climbing up and the wolves had disappeared this was all so strange and uncanny that the dreadful fear came upon me and i was afraid to speak to m or move the time seemed interminable as we swept on our way, now in almost complete darkness, for the rolling clouds obscured the moon, we kept on ascending with occasional periods of quick descent, but in the main, always ascending. Suddenly, I became conscious of the fact that the driver was in the act of pulling up the horses in the courtyard of the vast ruined castle, from whose tall black windows came no array of light, whose broken battlements shone in jagged lines against the moonlight sky. That was Bram Stoker's Dracula. If you like this content, please support this by heading over to the Patreon. That is www.patreon.com forward slash short story scene. Thank you for listening and talk to you again next episode. Bye.